You are listening to the Ipsos Mori Politics and Society podcast with your host, Kieran Pedley. Well, amidst all the debate about uh, lockdowns, coronavirus, and when we get back to, in inverted commas, normal, it is easy to forget, or at least it's possible to forget, that there are some extremely important elections coming up in Scotland. Um, those that aren't following things very closely will know that there's a big row brewing within the SNP between former leader Alex Salmond and current leader and First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. Whilst, of course, Scotland has its own issues with coronavirus, its own debates about um, how to end, how to come out of lockdown and how to handle the pandemic moving forward and so on and so forth. So on this podcast, we're looking ahead to those elections in May, which could have profound implications for whether Scotland uh, leaves the UK and becomes independent. And we look at some uh, the latest round of, of the Ipsos Mori Scottish Political Monitor to see what the Scottish public think of everything uh, as that election approaches. And to discuss all of that and to sort of pick through the numbers and what it all means, I was joined by Ipsos Mori uh, Scotland Managing Director Emily Gray and also uh, Sir John Curtis, who uh, will need no introduction to many uh, that follow uh, these things. And I spoke to um, Emily and John um, earlier this week uh, to go through the numbers and to look at the state of play in Scotland and the independence question. Here is that conversation. So I'm here with Sir John Curtis and Emily Gray. Welcome to you both. So on this week's podcast, it's hard to, um, I mean, I've got to say, John, I'll come to you first. Lots going on in, in, the, in the Scottish media this week with inquiries and so on. I'm something of an unapologetic politico. My job is to follow public opinion and know what's going on in politics. But I've got to be honest, even I struggle a bit at times with what we're seeing in the uh, sturgeon salmon affair, if you want to call it that. Um, what, what do we make of what's going on this week and how it might impact Scottish politics generally? Well, I mean, the truth is, Kieran, that, that the last two or three days, at least, have been one of those rare uh, periods when it's no longer a, a subject in Scotland is no longer simply being discussed in Scotland, but has managed to hit uh, the London airway. So, yes, the... The, the, the now long-running uh, disagreement between Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmond, um, has, uh, which has hitherto largely been a page seven newspaper story uh, because the, uh, the claims and counterclaims are frankly quite complex. But that's now uh, moved to uh, the centre stage, uh, partly, of course, and in every, primarily, of course, because we were looking forward and we may still be looking forward to the appearance of Alex Salmon before the, the Scottish Parliament Committee and then Nicola Sturgeon herself. And that provides the political theatre uh, uh, for this event. But also, of course, because there have been arguments about uh, most recently whether or not the Scottish Parliamentary Committee should or should not publish some of the submission that Mr. Salmon has put before them. And the difficulty there is the suggestion that perhaps some of what he's put in his written submission potentially contradicts the court order that flows from uh, the uh, court case against Mr. Salmon, in which, of course, he was found not guilty on all counts, um, but where the, uh, the uh, identities of the complainants are protected by court order. Uh, and so that's raised all sorts of complications. So this has created an increasingly enormous row. Um, and uh, in truth, pr the substance of what's been said in the last two or three days is very little from the substance that's been said for 
weeks, although what we've now begun to see, I mean, the First Minister, I think, hitherto has played it, you know, I'll, I'll just bide my time and I'm not going to get into this and I'll, I will uh, uh, eventually appear before the committee. I think in the last few days, the, the tactics have changed. We're now seeing, as it were, friends of Nicola Sturgeon, indeed Nicola Sturgeon herself, now beginning to rebut the claims are being made. So all this has gone up. But I mean, the truth is, this is by no means the only thing that's going on uh, in Scotland that potentially will matter when it comes to April. And there are other things that are happening that may end up mattering more. One is the statement made by Nicola Sturgeon on Tuesday about how Scotland is going to deal with a lockdown. And the crucial thing about that is, is that we're back into a situation whereby uh, the, both the pace of the lockdown, sorry, the, the unlocking down that is proposed for Scotland is slower and more cautious. And it also looks as though the strategic objective is different. And the easiest way of understanding this is that you know the, the, the prime minister is still inclined to say, well, we're going to have to learn to live with this like flu, and i.e. Mm -hmm. that's something that gets rather bad in the winter and a few uh, some thousands of people die. Nicola Sturgeon prefers the analogy that, uh, no, we should treat this like measles. That is something that basically we don't expect most people to get. And when you do get, begin to get cases locally, you uh, use a track and trace system to stamp down on it very, very quickly. It becomes effectively a notifiable disease. So that's a very, that, that potentially is a, an important strategy. Now, Nicola Sturgeon's uh, uh, strategy would, on the basis of previous polling evidence, tend to fit the mood of the public, which tend to be cautious. On the other hand, it's caused quite a lot of kickback, uh, certainly from businesses who are finding that they're not going to open so quickly. So how the public reacts to that, I, a subject which at the end of the day affects people's lives so, so much more than what Alex Salmon did or uh, what, what people did or didn't conspire to do vis-a-vis you know, -vis Alex Salmon, you know, in the end may well crowd, crowd all of this out. The other thing to realise that's also going on is that some of the consequential rows about Brexit are still brewing north of border. Remember, Scotland voted to remain. Remember that as the UK got to leaving the European, the, 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 the European Union, support for independent Scotland had risen to 50% on the back of discontent about Brexit. Well, that's continuing, partly, of course, because the fishermen haven't got what they wanted. But it's also that, you know, remember the internal market bill, actually means the UK government can start doing things uh, and as it is to some degree circumscribe the, the autonomy of the Scottish Parliament and can start doing things itself. And we're now also getting an announcement this week that, you know, rather than, you know, the, let the UK government's levelling up fund, um, you know, operating in England and then you give the Barnet consequentials to Scotland and the Scottish government decides how to spend that money. Oh, no, 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 the UK government's going to spend the money. So that makes the issue of devolution and the integrity of the de devolved institutions and the powers of the devolved institutions are uh, one of the issues. And again, that's also part of the backdrop to, uh, uh, to the Alex Salmond affair. So be aware, therefore, that you know there's much more going on than uh, uh, the uh, Salmond versus Sturgeon political theatre. There are fundamental questions of public health and fundamental questions about the position of devolution in Scotland, which are, are now also continuing to be part of the uh, backdrop to uh, the electoral scene that we're now about to get into. So, em Emily, lots to um, unpick from John's remarks there. I mean, we had a podcast, um, I think it was before Christmas, where um, the backdrop was very much obviously um, COVID. Um, Nicola Sturgeon's ratings were sky high. Um, we had a record um, level of support for Scottish independence at 
mm. um, and so on and so forth. So it was all it was all coming up roses for the SNP. We've got our latest um, Scottish political monitor numbers out this week. I just wondered if you could talk briefly about some of the uh, the headline figures from that. Um, I mean, what is the state of play at the moment? Is there evidence of this um, uh, salmon sturgeon affair, if we're going to use that term, cutting through? What are the key trends that we're noticing in public opinion? Because, of course, May's elections uh, are increasingly coming on the horizon, aren't they? Well, the short answer is yes, it does look as if the salmon sturgeon issue is starting to cut through with Scottish voters beyond the Holyrood bubble. And don't forget, this poll was taken last week. We came out of fields on Sunday. And of course, the inquiry has been much more in the news this week. Uh, But a third of people told us that the inquiry had made them feel less favourable towards the SNP. Of course, most people still say it's made no difference to their view of the party. So I don't want to overstate it. But even among SNP voters, so when we look at people who voted SNP back at the 2019 general election, one in five of them tell us that the inquiries made made them feel less favourable towards the party. So even prior to this week, it does look as if the as if the inquiry was starting to to impact on on the electorate. But you know, we haven't yet seen, certainly in Liverpool last week, we didn't see that um, yet have an effect on voting intention for the Holyrood elections. So the SNP still have a very comfortable lead for the, ahead of the Holyrood elections. More than twice as many people told us that they would vote SNP as would vote for the, the Tories, the second largest party. Um, so if that's sustained, then the SNP looks set to win a majority of seats. But it's a very big if because so much could happen over the, over the coming weeks. And we always say a week is a long time in politics. I mean, on... on... Can, can I, can I, go on, John, yeah, go, but, jump in, jump Emily, in. Emily's quite right in what she says about the salmon affair, but I, I think one should say that probably at the moment, the way to read it is that the SNP certainly, and Nicola Sturgeon certainly needs to shut this down. It certainly isn't doing the SNP any good. But, you know, remember, frankly, the only group of people for whom the salmon sturgeon affair matters are those people who were minded to vote for the SNP uh, before you know the latest row. Uh, the nearest proxy we've got for that is how is those people who voted for the SNP in December 2019. So the you know the, the truth is at the end of the day those people who are determined to vote Conservative and those people determined to vote Labour will frankly of course tell you that they don't think this is doing the SNP any good. But that's irrelevant. What matters is what impact is it had on potential SNP supporters. Now this. Signs, as Emily said, of some concern. You know, one in five saying it makes their, their view uh, rather worse. Five uh, percent actually says it makes their view more favourable. I'm not quite sure uh, why they might take that view. <laughs> so, I mean, at the moment, I think you know, it, it's a warning sign rather than clear evidence that it's doing significant damage. I mean, at the end of the day, even amongst those who say they're going to vote for the SNP now, 16% of them say, yeah, well, I'm still going to do that, even though I think uh, actually this is not doing the SNP any good. So I think pretty clear the SNP need to shut this down pretty quickly. This can't be going on for the next eight weeks. But still, I think in terms of evidence of damage, limited so far. But of course, also crucial to say, this polling was done before the row really hit the airways and really began to, uh, to dominate uh, the Scottish political story. That's true, John. I mean, I think we're seeing early signs, but when you take this together with some of the other findings in the poll, like that support for independence falling back a bit, the first minister's ratings having slipped a bit over the past over the past few months, I you know I would take those together as early signs that it, that it is. Yeah, but, 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 but we then need to kind of you know uh, try to work out you know uh, you know what what is going on here. Mm. Uh, 
Well, hang on. Let's 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 unpick some of that. So, just to put yeah. some numbers to people's uh, who who are listening in, I'm conscious it's audio. So, on the um, uh, there's obviously two votes, but the con- on the constituency vote for the horse race for the election uh, that's coming up in May, um, we've got the SNP on 52 versus the Conservatives on 23. So, as Emily says, you know, uh, convincingly more than twice as many uh, Scots saying they'll vote SNP as, as Conservative. That compares to 55 percent, so a three point drop from November. Um, and actually a six-point drop for the SNP from October. So, I mean, sky-high figures, well over a majority of the popular vote for the constituency vote, um, but it has softened a bit since uh, October. Um, in terms of the list vote, um, the SNP on 47, which is identical to their figures in November and October. So some softening on the on the horse race voting intention question, um, but still, you know, a commanding lead, as we as uh, Emily mentions. But Emily, you, you mentioned in passing there that the, the uh, support for independence uh, falling, which... I mean, I think for, for most people, either in Scotland or, or elsewhere in the UK, this really is the central question. What's the long term future of Scotland uh, and its position in the UK? So when you say uh, support for independence is, Scot- uh, is uh, softening, put some figures to that. What, what are we seeing uh, in this poll versus previous Ipsos polls? Sure. So support for independence has slipped back a bit. So among people who with with a voting intention, we've 52% now say that they would vote yes if a referendum was held tomorrow, compared with 48% who would who would vote no. So so yes, has a four point lead. And I think that will be worrying news for those for pro-independence campaigners and may also be a bit heartening for union for unionists because you know a few months ago the situation did really look very bad for unionists um, with with yes with, with a very sizable lead. Uh, but a big question, of course, is you know the pro-independence parties look set to win a majority of seats in May at the moment. A big question is you know, if the UK government will allow a referendum in the event that they do. And again, we see that slipping back. So we asked we ask the, the Scottish public about this as well. And over half of people still say that the UK government should allow a second referendum in the event that, that, that the SNP win a majority of seats in May. Uh, but again, that slipped a bit by eight percentage points since we last last asked it in October. So overall, there are signs that both support for independence and for a second second referendum may be falling slightly. So John, I'll see if that's sustained. So John, I want to get your assessment on this in the um, independence polling because obviously you, um, you don't just look at Ipsos polling, but you look at the numbers in the round. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is the third poll in a row that's recorded a four point drop in support for independence, albeit all three of them polls that had put support for independence previously somewhat higher than other polling organizations it's certainly been clear for quite a long while that you know support for independence was not a stone that was gathering more and more moss it rose during the course of last summer um and it's that that happened and it got us to about 53 percent or so on average in the polls and it certainly wasn't continuing to rise but it does now look as though support for independence has eased a bit although in this poll we've still got a narrow majority in favor so it's certainly uh, an indication to the uh, uh, to the nationalist movement that this is you know it because progress has been made and because for the first time in scottish polling history we keep on getting polls showing independence ahead as this one does um, that doesn't mean to say that you know that, that the whole thing is in the bag and that scotland mm-hmm. is now on an inevitable journey so i think you know, it, it's an important uh, check uh, uh, to that. So, I mean, so far as uh, the question of holding a referendum is concerned, well, here we have to remember that, to be honest, 
most people's views about whether there should be a referendum are tied up with the, with their views about independence. Yes, voters want a referendum. No voters don't want. Slight indication in this poll that some of the yes voters maybe have lost a little bit of enthusiasm for, for holding a, a referendum soon. And that perhaps is the most interesting bit. But at the end of the day, if support for independence goes down in a poll, you can pretty much guarantee the proportion of people who want a referendum will go down as well because the two you know, almost have an umbilical uh, cord uh, tied between them. And the argument about process is really... Uh, very difficult to disentangle from the argument about uh, substance. Mm. I think something that's really important is that from this poll is that the top issue that people say will help them make up their minds about which party to vote for in May is independence. And of course, the parties that have the clear, the clear positions on independence, so the SNP and the Conservatives in particular, are likely to benefit from that. Um, but there are also, of course, other big issues that that are on people's minds in Scotland. You know, things like education, the NHS, the coronavirus, and the economy. But you know, at the moment, it does absolutely look as if independence will be set to dominate the campaigns. Although, <clears throat> although the other parties are also likely to try and bring the focus onto the SNP's domestic record on issues like education and public services. Yeah, but it, 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 you know, this is an absolutely fundamental point that uh, that Emily has made. Uh, there is, by the way, a deep irony behind it because uh, what the poll, I mean, the, the, the Conservatives have spent, particularly and also the Labour Party to some degree, have spent much of the last three or four years saying people in Scotland, are, it's not their number one issue. They want the government to concentrate on education, health, the pandemic, the economy, whatever, Any, anything please but, uh, but independence. But now so effective have the Conservatives been in their constant reference to independence as being an important subject that they've now persuaded their own supporters that it is indeed an important subject. And here's an irony for you. Slightly more people, more conservative supporters in this poll uh, now think that independence is one of the most important issues than do members of the SNP. Uh, and the truth is now both sides in, in, in this argument, uh, uh, voters on both sides, agree in independence is central. But what's also important to understand is that you know, and this is a way a social scientist to work out, the importance of independence to how people are going to vote is to be seen by looking at the relationship between people's views about independence and who they're going to vote for. Now, one of the fundamental features of SNP support until relatively re recently, and fundamental to their success in 2011 in getting an overall majority, was to persuade people who were not in favour of independence to vote for them. So you can vote for us, yeah. You can vote for us because you they think we think you, you think we can run the Scottish government ready uh, uh, better. But you know, we, independence is parked into a referendum. Those days are over. Ipsos mm -hmm. Markey's polls, and it's confirmed in this one, have continuously shown that basically around ninety percent, nine zero percent of those people who said they would vote yes in a referendum tomorrow say they're going to vote for the SNP, and only around eight. 9% of those people who say they would vote no. So when you actually look at what people are going to do, the the, refer the, the election in May already looks like a quasi-referendum. If you are an SNP, an independent supporter, you're almost guaranteed, as close as we ever get to in, in, in human behaviour, to, to vote for the SNP. And if you're not in favour of independence, you're almost guaranteed then to vote, you know, Conservative, Labour or Liberal Democrats, and you're more likely to vote for the Conservatives, frankly, if you're if you're a Brexiteer. Um, but th this is a fundamental change. And it, therefore, it's another reason for caution about, you know, how some of the arguments, I mean, I think probably true that the SNP's record 
until March of last year, i.e. when the coronavirus pandemic is probably going to be an irrelevance in this election. The pandemic will matter uh, because it's been so central to people's lives. Um, and independence is going to matter. And the important arguments on both sides um, about that. Um, but that probably everything else is likely to put in the shade, including you know, people's perceptions of how well the SNP have been running things in the last five years. I have a question for um, for both of you on, on some of these numbers, because I'm looking at them on my screen and I can see that um, Nicola Sturgeon's satisfaction rating of her job that she's doing as First Minister, still incredibly high, something numbers mm -hmm. that Boris Johnson would kill for in our GB-wide um, uh, so Prime Minister satisfaction ratings. But it's fallen from 72% satisfied in October, which again, <laughs> incredible numbers, um, to 64% now. Uh, her net satisfied rating has gone from plus 48 to plus 32. And at the same time, we've seen this dip if you want to call it that, in support for independence um, from 58% in our most recent poll, I think it was, um, or certainly at the back end of last year, we had it as high as 58% um, to 52% now. Now, I suppose one of the things I'm trying to struggle with, and there may not be an answer to this, is to what extent that, that what's the baseline support, if you like, for independence at the moment? Is it actually approaching 60%? And what we've seen in the recent past is a dip in satisfaction with the S&P, with Nicola Sturgeon and so on, that's maybe t meant that that's taken a hit? Or is actually the 58% that we were seeing and the sky, you know, 70 plus percent satisfied with Sturgeon actually like a, a sky high, almost rally around the flag effect in the middle of a pandemic that can't possibly be sustained in the future? Because that's, that's quite an important question, isn't it? If you're the SNP considering uh, a potential referendum campaign, or, or if you're the unionists looking at the, the, you know, what, what, how they respond to the request for a referendum, how winnable, how winnable is it? So I suppose the premise of my question really for both of you, I'll come to you first, Emily, is do we have a view? I mean, do, do you have an opinion, however like much we can't prove it, on where the real baseline for support for independence is? And also just how tied in is the case for independence with Nicola Sturgeon's personal poll ratings? Because it does seem to me that um, maybe you'd expect this, that as her ratings go up and down, so too does the does support for independence. So I just wanted to get both of your views on some of that, but I'll come to you first, Emily. Well, it feels really important to look at who support for independence is slipping among, because when we look at that, it's those groups where support has only really risen since, you know, a, a, over the last over the last year or so, so women, middle-aged people, people with no no formal qualifications, and it may be that support for independence from those groups is actually quite soft. And what we were seeing back, at, you know, at the, at the high point, as you say, Kieran, back at, back in back in October, um, was more around the halo halo effect, uh, you know, because. Um, you know, public ratings of Nicola Sturgeon's handling of the of the pandemic pandemic at the time were so high, and it's interesting to look at how those ratings of handling the pandemic com compare now, because what we see is that you know people still rate the Scottish government's handling of the pandemic much much higher than the UK government's. But when it comes to more recent events like the rollout of the vaccination program, for example, you know they they rate both the UK and the Scottish government gov governments pretty highly. So it does, you know, ha however much parties have sought to make political capital out of the, the vaccination programme, it doesn't it doesn't seem like that's really impacted. Actually, the public give credit to both the UK and the Scottish governments for, for their handling of that. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what Emily is saying. I, mean, I think um, the, the, the truth is that it looks pretty certain that the reason why support for independence 
rose from the 50% that it was at um, as of uh, January last year when we left the European Union uh, and got up to on average 53, 54% and in uh, one of Ipsos Mori's polls up to 58, seemed to be due with the handling of the pandemic. I mean, there was just this enormous gap in perceptions of Sturgeon, perceptions of Johnson, and crucially, um, what um, previous, some pre including some previous uh, Ipsos Mori polling has shown, is that we know that and it's not majority, but a, an important minority, perhaps as many as 20% of those people who had voted no in 2014 were saying, well, you know what, actually, I think maybe Scotland might have handled the coronavirus rather better uh, mm -hmm. as an independent country. And that, that, as a result, fed into what perhaps was never much more than a modest further increase in support for independence. But because it took us over the 50% mark, of course, it grabbed all the headlines. Now, if indeed that interpretation as to why we got to some of the high levels that we have been seeing is correct, then uh, I think uh, we then look to see, well, as, are there signs, as it were, the most recently arrived where the other one have gone away because in a sense um that, that, that if indeed the most recent rise in support of independence has been driven by the pandemic then that's a very contingent uh, amount of support so let me give you one further clue between the between beside the ones emily noted so one of the things one of the things that's long been true is that support for independence is much higher amongst remain voters than it is amongst leave voters that again is a new development as compared with five years ago um, but the interesting thing in this poll is that at 59%, the level of support for independence amongst Remain voters is pretty much in line with what other polls have been saying, for which these data are available. Level of support amongst Leave voters at 31 is actually rather on the low side. And, you know, one of the things that began to be true during the course of the, from the middle of last year during the pandemic, is that support for independence was, was also, you know, was going up a bit amongst Remain voters, but it was also going up amongst Leave voters, contrary to the previous trend. So that was one indication that what was going on was that Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic was beginning to impress people who are not normally people think of themselves as being with the SNP ambit. And, you know, frankly, being now being slightly anecdotal, I mean, unfortunately, one doesn't get many chances to have many conversations with voters these days. But, you know, I've certainly heard more than once during the course of the last six, seven months of people saying, well, you know what, I've, I've never voted for the SNP. I've never really thought much of Nicola Sturgeon before now, but by God, the lass has done, done a jolly good job to this pandemic. So in other words, she reached beyond. Now, what you see, uh, uh, we've seen for a while, to be honest, some gradual decline in evaluations of the Scottish government's handling the pandemic, although it still vastly outstrips that of the UK government. Um, and accompanying that, yes, also some gradual decline in the very high levels of satisfaction uh, uh, for Nicola Sturgeon. But much of it has occurred amongst, so declining, the decline in satisfaction with Sturgeon, it's not occurred at all amongst those people who voted for the SNP in December 2019. Her popularity, which is 92%, is utterly unchanged. Amongst whom has it dropped? It's dropped above all amongst Conservative voters and to some degree Labour and Liberal Democrat voters. Amongst whom has Boris Johnson's popularity gone up? Well, it's not gone up amongst those people who voted for the SNP in 2019. It's gone up amongst Conservative voters. So I think what's putting all these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to get together, I think what we're finding here is evidence that the, 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 that some of the ways in which Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic reached out to people who don't normally 
Uh, normally, at the moment, as we know, they're, they're, they're beyond the bits that even Sturgeon Lager were able to reach. Uh, for a while, she got through to them. But now, perhaps partly simply because we're also getting into an election season, it's getting to more partisan. Perhaps you know, also because the, uh, uh, the the opposition have been pretty robust in their uh, 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 their uh, 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 evaluation and criticism of the Scottish government's handling of the pandemic. You know, some of that audience has been lost. But if that analysis is correct, you know, it is a crucial warning to the unionist movement. I mean, to answer your your original question, Kieran, what's the baseline? Well, the baseline before the pandemic was fifty percent. And perhaps that is indeed the, the the baseline level of support for independence at the moment. Once you strip out the the coronavirus effect, which may now be beginning to wane. So final, I want to just final couple of minutes from both of you. I know we're running out of time. I guess what happens next then, if the SNP do, it's a big if still. We don't know what's going to happen between now and election day. But it does. It's a reasonable assumption that the SNP could end up with a majority after these elections. Um, maybe you disagree, so feel free to. But what happens next, Emily? Because we, we've got some polling in our poll, haven't we, on what, what Scots think should happen next. Um, Boris Johnson said he's, you know, essentially the last referendum was once in a generation and that's that. I mean, do you think that's sustainable? Do, do Scots think that's fair? Mm-hmm. And as, as an aside on Boris Johnson, his ratings in Scotland are still terrible. They're just slightly less less bad than they were than they were towards the end of last year. But in, but coming back to you know, in the event that the SNP win a majority in the May in the May elections, we asked people in Scotland. So you know what should what should the Scottish government do next? If the UK government does not allow a second independence referendum, you know, as which you would expect would be the most likely likely thing that would come to pass, and you know, people are quite are quite split on this. So, forty two percent say that the Scottish government should simply accept that you know, accept that the referendum can't be held in the next five years. But just over a third think that the Scottish government should take the UK government to court to try and establish a legal basis. Um, uh, yeah, and then you you have two and almost two and almost one in five who say that you know the Scottish government should just go ahead and hold a kind of wildcat Catalonia-style referendum anyway without without the UK government's consent. So some some different views in there, and of course you know wildly different views among yes and yes to independence and no and no to independence supporters as you would expect. Um, but you know I think it's going to be fascinating to see to see what does happen what does happen next. I mean, just well, to- that, that, it's, it's, it's Emily's last point that's the crucial point, okay? Basic, and a crucial thing to understand this amongst those people who are currently minded to vote for the SNP, 29%, as it were, say, go Catalonia, we just do it anyway. 55% go for what is probably what will be the course of action, which is that, you know, we, we, we legislate for a referendum and we accept that we'll be taken to court. But the crucial thing, therefore, to realize is that. With virtually every, 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 virtually everybody who's going to vote for the SNP being a, uh, a pro-independent supporter, and given that virtually everybody who says they're going to vote for the SNP don't think that refusal should be accepted, it, the, it's going to be very, very difficult for any SNP majority government elected at Holyrood to drop the case. And I think we mm-hmm. must anticipate that there will be, a, you know, assuming the UK government hits its, its stance, that there will be a significant constitutional clash. But then looking forward, and again, it's worth remembering here a little bit of SNP history, which perhaps has been forgotten in unionist circles. The idea that independence is pursued through a referendum 
is a relatively recent notion inside the SNP. It dates only from the 1990s. And it was created because they were looking for a way to try to persuade people to vote for them in Scottish Parliament elections, uh, even though they weren't in favour of independence. The fact that we're now in a world where perhaps a half of people in Scotland are in favour of independence, and virtually all those people are voting for the SNP, fundamentally changes the strategic position. And I think one thing unions need to bear in mind is that if the SNP, if indeed the Scottish government, and I can think of various ways this can be done, um, the Scottish government is denied the opportunity to hold a referendum, then one possibility, and Joanna Cherry, the prominent uh, SNP MP has already articulated this, that the SNP may go back to its previous position, which is if we get a majority of MPs in a Westminster election for Scotland or a majority of MPs at Holyrood, mm -hmm. that is a mandate for independence. Mm -hmm. And it's, and you know, if indeed the SNP can now rely on uh, independence voters to vote for it, and there are enough independence voters for it to deliver an electoral victory, that becomes a, electorally a credible position. And then also bear in mind, it's a lot easier for the SNP to win a majority of seats at Westminster than it is for the SNP to win a referendum on independence. For the, to, you, to get a majority of seats at Westminster, you don't need anything like 50% of the vote. To win a referendum, you do actually need to persuade the whole country. Mm. Well, can we just briefly talk about Scottish Labour? Because, of course, it's been completely overshadowed about the by the events of this this week. But of course, we will hear the result of the of the Labour, Scottish Labour leadership contest this weekend. And what we what we found is that the Scottish public were split on whether Anna Sarwar or Monica Lennon would make the best Labour leader. But among Labour leaders, there isn't a narrow preference for Anna Sarwar. So we'll see if that comes to pass on on Saturday or not. But obviously, completely forgotten among the among everything that's been going on the last few days. Yes, indeed. I, I think perhaps one of the little uh, minor surprises of this poll that uh, uh, Monica Lennon, who is, I think, largely regarded as the underdog, seems to be as not so far behind Anna Sawa as um, perhaps we were presuming amongst Labour voters. What is what mm -hmm. Anna Sawa is only about five points further. Although a lot of Scottish Labour voters go, I frankly don't know. And you know, the truth is, whichever of them gets the post will face uh, principal task number one will be can we get more people take, to take notice of this than Richard Leonard, uh, the uh, previous Scottish leader, could, who was still ending up with lots of people saying we don't know who he is. Um, mm. uh, and they've got, of course, a very limited amount of time in which to actually do that before the electric goes to the polls. So fascinating stuff. Uh, so John Curtis, Emily Gray, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Very, very easily. There's lots that we could have um, discussed, but John's final remarks there about some of the, the, the tactics or the strategies that the SNP might use in the event that they win a majority and another referendum is refused um, really do get to the heart of how important these elections are in Scotland. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the constitutional question around independence. And what's clear from the data is that Scottish people, you know, the Scottish public know that. They, they, in, the independence is, center, uh, is central to their decision on who to vote for in those elections too. So this isn't something that's going away. It's not something uh, people can ignore. Um, and I think given the, the powerful position uh, the SNP have in the polls, um, it does look like we're heading for something of a constitutional clash as I think uh, John put it uh, later uh, in, in the year. But a big thanks to Emily and the team in Scotland for producing that polling too. Um, certainly lots of interesting numbers. And if you are interested in uh, pouring over the data tables, uh, pouring over the charts, they'll all be on the Ipsos Mori website 
uh, in due course. So for now, thanks as ever for listening to the podcast. Do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, either to the Polling Matters feed, that's mine, or the Ipsos Mori Politics and Society feed. Um, and stay tuned for more episodes in the coming weeks because uh, we're planning on doing more.